Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host and producer of Your Story Matters radio show. Today, I am interviewing Lee Horbachewski, and she is the founder of Simply Serene. Lee is an advocate for mental health awareness, a speaker, and a writer. She has done a lot in the community to help others to understand and be aware about mental health issues, to prevent suicide, and she helps others to stay encouraged and inspired. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. You are very welcome. Before we talk about what you're doing now, as you know, on Your Story Matters, the whole idea here is to share some of the past story that evolved into where you're at today. And I would love for you to go back as far as you feel necessary to kind of give the listeners an idea of what you've been through and what happened to kind of evolve into the place that you're at now in helping others and in really having a passion for mental health awareness? Well, my story for where I'm at right now really stems back to 2004, 2003, when my second daughter was born. And uh, shortly thereafter, you know, the, the blues started popping up mm-hmm. and I didn't recognize it as the blues. I just thought, well, you know, new baby, I'm tired, you know, my second daughter. So, and then I, you know, I would start to get the tears and, the lack of sleep, and I just kept, you know, people would say, oh, you're so lucky, you know, just you, you can snap out of it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So I, I ended up putting a mask up of, yep, I'm okay. All's right. good. Mm-hmm. But uh, inside I was dying, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, within um, just over a year after my f- second daughter was born, uh the depression really escalated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, I went through a terrible period of losing on average 10 pounds a week. Wow. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. I was very weak and uh, I ended up actually one day just thinking I I can't go on. Mm -hmm. And You know, I was ready to take my life and, and thankfully I made a phone call that I believe really saved my life and that was to the distress centers, um, 24-hour crisis line. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that that phone call led me two days later to being hospitalized in psychiatric ward Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, was uh, diagnosed with major depression and anxiety or panic disorder that was uh, believed to be uh, stemmed from untreated postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remained there and, um, you know, I made three attempts on my life while I was in the hospital and... uh, you know, as as I healed through my journey, I just I, I found the inspiration to write because that helped me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to interrupt just for a minute and go back to the time prior to going into the hospital and calling the distress center. What were some of the thoughts and feelings going on? Because I know that mostly, and you've heard this too, I'm sure people often feel that nobody has been where they've been. Nobody gets it. And I would love for you to share some of those inner thoughts, if you will, of what was really going through your mind day in and day out. Though you couldn't get out of bed, you had two children, you were married. What was that like? Well, they're, they're great questions. You know, the thoughts and feelings, um, and, and you really hit a point there. Nobody gets it. Mm-hmm. And, and that really... That, that, that really is what goes on, what, what went on for me. And, uh, you know, I was in a place of feeling isolated, feeling very alone, mm-hmm. that no one understood the pain that I was going through, mm-hmm. that there was no hope. Mm-hmm. I, really, I, I really did not see any hope of getting better. 
And uh, it was, I just felt very dark, very alone and very much misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, in that moment, misunderstood is probably not the word, but maybe judged or Mm -hmm. scared of what others would, you know, would think if I admitted that I had depression, like a mental illness. Right. What are people going to think? So Mm -hmm. that even made me isolate and, and put that mask up of, I'm okay even more. Mm-hmm. But then as I got, you know, more ill, it was very difficult to keep that mask up because I physically, I was down to 105 pounds mm. on a five foot eight frame, very weak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, physically I could not hide it anymore. So very isolated, very alone. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned that because I know a lot of what you do with your work now, which is critical is helping people to understand whether you're the one facing depression or not. Maybe you're the family member or the outsider. There's so much shame there that needs to be broken through that people need to understand that there's nothing shameful about being depressed, about feeling suicidal. Anything that falls under the mental health category is nothing to be ashamed of. It's part of life, and it's more regular and normal than we actually realize. Yes, that's that's very true. I mean, there is a lot of shame associated mm-hmm. around it. And, you know, everyone, I would say nine and a half out of ten people that I speak with or who share their thoughts with me, that word shame comes up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one of the things I find very important about my message is not only to help the people that are going through this time understand that they are not alone, Mm -hmm. that it is a disease, and as you said, that it is part of life and very normal. Mm -hmm. It's not a weakness of character. It is a disease. That's right. And the more people that are supporting people with um, a mental illness understand that, the better off everyone is. That's right. I totally agree, and that's in part why I love what you're doing. It's so critical that us as a society take a different look at how we're treating others and how we're dealing with situations such as yours because there really are too many lives lost, whether they're lost to death or lost to simply being over-medicated or put into facilities those are lives that could be productive, helpful citizens in our community. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I would like for you to be able to share your thoughts with others on those who don't understand mental illness. Maybe that's never touched their life for whatever reason. No one close to them, they're not themselves individually, that would say, what's the problem? You have two beautiful kids. You have a husband. You have a nice life. You're a beautiful woman. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your journey, but as a counselor myself, I've had clients come to me and say, that's the part that hurts the most, is that people look at my life and think it's great and perfect, and they just dismiss the idea that I could possibly be unhappy, much less depressed. That's a, that's a very good question, and, and that is what happens. It, it does People do dismiss the idea, and I think it really comes from a place of what I think you're pointing towards is that lack of ad- education, the mm-hmm. fear that surrounds something that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, the brain is a very complex part of our body, and uh, every mental illness, whether it's depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, post-traumatic stress disorder, 
postpartum, they are all an imbalance in the brain. Mm -hmm. That is something, you know, that myself when dealing with depression, which is more than likely now seasonal affective disorder because Mm -hmm. it comes up in May, it is an imbalance. Mm -hmm. And it's not me or who I am. Mm -hmm. It like... Um, you know, like like cancer or MS or diabetes is something that goes on in the body that we have no control over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well put, well put. And what do you think helps the most now that you've been through this? And we'll talk more about when you were in the hospital and some of your recovery. But what is it that you could say to people that would help them to realize the importance of looking through what appears on the outside to what may possibly be happening on the inside so that others can have empathy and compassion while not having to feel sorry for someone and give in to things that are unhealthy to help them. How can they have some sort of compassion for someone like you or others who have gone, who are going through or gone through something like this? Well, the the compassion really comes from a place and, and I think the bottom line is relationship. It is is connecting with people and coming from a place of compassion. Look at someone in the eyes. Mm. The eyes tell a big story. You can see sadness in someone's eyes. You can see desperation in someone's eyes. You can see joy mm. in someone's eyes. So how you can do that is is come from a place of of accepting people where they're at. Yes. You know, accept where that person is in that moment. Mm. I mean, we not like all the the latest suicides of NHL hockey players. You know, these are successful men mm-hmm. from the outside looking in that are highly fit, dedicated. Mm-hmm. But because of that fear, I'm assuming, you know, and, and the pain that they were going through, if someone had just maybe said to them or noticed at some point, look, you know what, you're not look like, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who would have known what the outcome may have been? That's right. Key words. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that as a counselor, I've helped people to understand also that, you know, when we walk into relationships, whether they're personal or professional or some of the closer ones are not so close we walk in with our expectations. Mm. And I believe that the key is, in part, to let go of those expectations that we have of others. And as you mentioned, accept them for who they are and where they're at. And I imagine that if more of us were able to do that, there would be a much better world. There would be much more compassion, empathy, understanding, and really helping one another to say, hey, I realize that you're feeling down or hey you just had a baby and that's very overwhelming you know or you just had a huge life change how can I help how can I be supportive would you agree oh completely agree and it's being aware it's it's being aware of you know I've been doing a lot of reflecting this past week on um you know walking through life with blinkers or in Australia we call them blinkers uh blinders Mm -hmm. on and just focused on on what you're doing and everything that's busy in your life. Right. If you just take that that little step further and moments to check in with the people that you love. 
you know, just, just do a check-in and, and pick up the phone or, or send an email or Skype like we're doing and, and just, you know, how I've been thinking of you. How are you doing? You know, and, and connecting, connecting with people. Right, right. I think that's critical also. I think that in today's world, we're all so overwhelmed and busy and there's so much going on that we forget about what really matters and that is people. Yes. And, you know, really the truth is without people, there is no world, there is no business, there is no anything, there's no social media. We need one another to make all that happen, to keep all that happening. And I think we have an obligation, if you will, to be there for one another. If we want to choose people as our colleagues and our friends, then I believe that we have some sort of responsibility to be aware, as you said, and to take our blinders off and understand that people go through things sometimes and things aren't always what they seem on the outside. Yes, that, that, that is so true because we're, we're in a society that, you know, from the outside, there's so many people I mean, we, we could walk down a street. I mean, here's, here's a metaphor. Walking down a street of, say, 100 people, one in five of those people are dealing with a mental illness. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. And even though the, the CEO of the company is walking along in his, uh, you know, power, power suit and looking confident, you don't know what is, is underneath or mm-hmm. what is going on. Mm-hmm. It's That's that, right. Uh, what is it? Um, Amanda Marshall uh, song, Everybody's Got a Story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. appears on the outside may not be what's really going on on the inside. That's right. I would like for you to talk more about the time that you were in the hospital, how you began to process through what was happening. And if there was one point where you really believed that there might be some hope to get out of the situation you were in. I know that, again, as we mentioned earlier, most people who haven't been where you've been will not connect and understand in the way that others who have been what you have been through would. But it is possible to educate others and to help them to understand some of what's happened. Yes, no, that, and, and that is important to, to point out. And that's one of the reasons why I did write my book and, and shared my story because... It puts people in the place of, oh, my God, that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and while, while I was in the hospital, I really, there was many times I would wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and seriously, there was emptiness, like complete emptiness, no mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tried the different uh, cocktails of, of medications. You know, one did not agree with me at all. I ended up uh, coding. Mm-hmm. And uh, woke up with doctors all around me. They were trying different medication cocktails because I was getting, on average, two hours of sleep a night. Mm. You know, the nurse would, uh, night nurse would come in every hour with the flashlight to check on the patients, and I would just put my hand up, mm-hmm. you know, in just frustration. And you know, in, in that time in the hospital, I can really, I can really say, and probably one of the reasons that I had such an attachment to smoking was. I really thought that, that my cigarettes were my only friend because mm-hmm. I'd go out into the smoking area and I would smoke like crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I just felt in that in those moments that that's the only thing that accepted me. Mm-hmm. There were times when you know I'd be looking at other patients, you know, a couple that had uh, schizophrenia. Um, you know, one patient that scared scared me to no end, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh my god, what like. What am I doing here? Like right. you know, the first actual time, first time that I had hope, and it sounds really strange, was when I was making the third attempt on my life, mm. and I was cutting my wrist, and I was drawing blood, and the two uh, little birds came into the tree. That was my first glimmer of hope, and that was October thirty first, two thousand and four. Why do you feel that way? What was going through your mind at that moment? I can relate to what you're saying about the birds in the tree, but maybe other people would not understand or would be interested in hearing about that. Well, in that moment, I was just so so desperate, so dark. All I wanted to do was end my end my existence. Mm-hmm. I was I felt that I was a burden to my family. That everyone was better off without me. That mm-hmm. I could not. Um, endure this emotional and physical pain anymore mm-hmm. and as I was doing that and I saw those I just I stopped it was the split second of just being aware mm-hmm. and I and I laid back down and it was you know very cold and I laid back down and all of a sudden I just saw my two daughters who at the time were one and four I pictured them mm-hmm. I could see them I could feel them and that was the first time in probably two months that I had an emotion of of recognizing or acknowledging my daughters. Mm. So I, I felt this warmth in my heart. And that is re- and then it was really in that moment, like feeling that warmth in my heart that I that was foreign yet familiar, mm-hmm. it just gave me that hope to go, okay, stop. Like you can choose life right now, but oh my God, you, I, I need help. Right, right. And I surrendered. I completely surrendered. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I do believe in God and angels. And mm-hmm. I just looked up and I said, please help me. I can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's a key point that you brought up, Lee, because I know some on some other shows we've had here in Your Story Matters and in Counseling Others, that that has been key. The point of surrendering, of just knowing that you can't do this alone. There has to be some other source, higher being, whatever everybody wants to call it for themselves, and letting go of trying to control something that we really can't control. Oh, yes. Point of surrender and letting go. That is truly two of the most powerful, profound lessons we can apply in anything in our life. That's right. And at the same time, we don't want to dismiss or belittle the notion of needing counseling, medication, intervention, support groups, things like that. Because as a counselor, I know how important and critical those things are to helping people to move on from their circumstances. And I would really love for you to share your thoughts about that, about counseling, medication, intervention, things like that how those things have helped you and, and what you see as being the value? Oh, that, that, is, that is a very important and powerful question because most of, the, most of the people that I talk with are like, well, I'm not going on antidepressants. Right. So I, I get asked all the time, like, you know, and even judged, why do you take them? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still on a low-dose antidepressant. And I meet with my doctor 
And um, during usually about April, May, we have a look and sometimes we need to maybe up the dose a little bit to help me with the, you know, help me with that time. I also go to monthly psychotherapy with my counselor. She, you know, she's, she's a social worker. She's fantastic. I, I truly believe that there's an integration that needs to happen, that we need to accept the medical needs. Not everyone needs, you know, the the medication or, you know, antidepressants, whatever it may be, but some people do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's okay. Yes. Yes. It, it's, it's okay to be on these. And as long as you're monitored by a mental health professional, you know, you don't take yourself off them because <laughs> that actually causes a lot of more uh, depressive symptoms is mm-hmm. people that just take themselves off an antidepressant or anything like that cold turkey. Mm-hmm. I really believe in all, any mode, what is, and, and it really needs to be what fits the individual. Yes. I was just going to ask you about that. That is critical because not everyone reacts the same way to medication or to counseling. And not everyone obviously has the same issue or problem. So people do need to understand that it's an individual process of finding the right thing for them to get help and to heal. Exactly. It, that, that is, it is so imperative that people need to understand that. You know, I, I, I wince when I see on Twitter or other things, no drugs, you know, no, you know, the whole natural approach. And, mm-hmm. and then the medical world saying holistic stuff doesn't work. Right. You know what? Let's let's come to a, a middle ground, right? Right, and let's be okay with everyone being individuals and being yes. treated accordingly. Because I think that across the board is critical, whether we're doing dealing with physical or mental illness. Now, I want to ask you because we talked about counseling, and I'm glad to hear that you keep up with that because I think that's important for everyone to check in once in a while with someone else that can listen and be objective. Did you go through a process of family counseling with your husband, for instance, and others close to you? And was that helpful in your process of healing? Yes, my my husband and I um, did a lot of uh, counseling together. We did uh, a lot of personal growth together. Uh, he, as you know, as the person who held our fat, my, my rock, my foundation, mm-hmm. he had a lot of frustration and and resentment of the year of our lives that was turned upside down. Mm-hmm. So we, we need, as, as a couple, it was imperative that we needed to do that um, to forgive each other, mm-hmm. to understand each other's point of view and how my illness impacted us as a family unit. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that is, is very important, especially, you know, when, you, when you're in a family unit is to make sure everyone's involved in the healing process. That's right. Critical. And I appreciate that you shared that because I think that that is very key is that there's other people that are being affected by what we go through. And it's important to recognize their feelings, their needs, their part of the process and deal with that accordingly. It's generally not just one person who's suffering through mental illness on their own. Yes. So that's key, again, to help people to realize that there's no shame in knowing that it's a family thing, that we need to talk about it, that we need to get help, that oftentimes as a family, as a couple, 
we can't just resolve our issues just because we want to and we love each other. We need an outsider or we need other avenues to help us. Yes. You know, and as my daughters have grown, you know, they, they're aware of my, what I've gone through, you know, at an age appropriate level, their teachers know like they, you know, I'm very much open and it teaches my daughters who are now 12 and eight, going back to what we were talking about, that compassion, that understanding, mm-hmm. you know, being educated and it is, it's, it's a, it's a family, it's a group dynamic to be able to understand and work through this. That's right. How did it affect your relationship with close family members or close friends? Did you lose friends and family in the process? Did you create better relationships, some of both? Because I know people often mention to me that it seems like when they go through the most difficult times of their lives, the people they thought loved them the most and would stick around are suddenly gone because they can't handle it. Yes, and that that I did experience that very much so, where people, you know, that they, due to their own fear and not being able to handle it themselves or not being able to understanding, withdrew. Mm-hmm. And it did impact relationships long term. But then there was also my friend Tina, my girlfriend Sandra, who passed away early this year. Sandra, you know, had lost her sister to suicide the year prior. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was all, whenever she came and visited me in the hospital, I was always in this place of guilt because I'm like, oh my God, I'm causing her pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But our relationship deepened to such a level of, of acceptance, of unconditional love mm. by that because not only did she, well, she didn't really understand why her sister took her life, but she was very fearful of you know, one of her best friends doing the same thing. Right. So it was a beautiful growth in our journey as a friendship. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there there were a lot of family members and friends who who chose to avoid or dismiss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I imagine at the core of all of this, and this is something that I believe as a person and a counselor, that you had to come to a place of really feeling self-worth and self-love in order to deal with the healing process the whole realization of what had happened is that would you say that's true very much so and and that is an ongoing journey um, yes that is something that doesn't you know i think our society looks um for a magic pill to mm-hmm. cure you know to cure anything and it really is is a journey and my journey of of self-worth of self-love of you know becoming confident in me mm-hmm. is is ongoing and I've done a lot of work counseling retreats uh, workshops I've listened to some of the you know the greats great teachers of our of our time and and prior to our time and that's what helps me to to find that that self-worth that self-love and and there's days where I don't feel it this morning I was feeling a lack of self-worth mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know and then quickly because I've learned I've learned to notice the the signs I know where to look for and who to reach out and ask for help to get me out of those moments right that's key thank you so much for sharing that because I think that sometimes people think well, once you get fixed, once you get healed, once you get the medication or the counseling or whatever it is, then it's free flying. No worries. That's simply not true. Once again, as humans, it's very normal to have emotional ups and downs, to have different anxiety issues, worry, concern, depression, whatever it is. 
And the key in all of it, I really believe, is recognizing how we're feeling, being aware of that, and making sure that we have support systems and resources in place so that we can deal with those feelings as they come about rather than growing and growing, much like what they did with you, and coming to a point where they were unmanageable. Yes. And that you, 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 know, you point on a very key thing there it is that emotions and those feelings. You know, a lot of, I, I just wrote an article acknowledging and embracing um, all emotions. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I learned when I was in the outpatient program after I was hospitalized was really learning to understand anger, learning to understand uh, jealousy, mm-hmm. frustration, and, and how that they're okay, they're emotions. Yes. All feel them and how you can actually, you know, react in a more healthy, positive way for all emotions. That's right. Love that you shared that because that is key also is that all these emotions are normal. They're for everyone and people don't think so, but it is teaching yourself how to deal with them effectively. So I know that you do plenty of work. You speak and you write and you're an advocate for mental health awareness and suicide awareness. And you have been brave in sharing your story. In fact, you have a Facebook page called I Am Brave. I would love for you to just share a bit of what you do and how others could reach you if they're interested in following you and finding out more. Well, my main website, my blog, which I've been blogging since 2007, is uh, simplyserene.com. So that's S-I-M-P-L-E-E. Serene, S-E-R-E-N-E. I Am Brave actually came about... Uh, I love Jana Stanfield's uh, If I Were Brave, and Mm -hmm. I'm actually featured in the video, the music video. Awesome. My girls and I listen to it all the time, and we always have a discussion, what would we do if I am brave? Mm -hmm. I really wanted to shine a positive light on mental illness, but really just create more of, okay, let's, let's let's shine light on the people that are stepping through. Right through this mm-hmm. and that gives them a voice find me on simplyserene.com it's got all my links to i am brave to going blue for you facebook twitter everything that's awesome lee i'm just so grateful that you did in fact get through your ordeal a few years back and that you learned so much and that you're being brave and sharing everything that you go through now and what you've gone through with others so that they can be encouraged and find hope in their own circumstance. Thank you. Thank you for sharing a part of your story today. And again, if we'd like to find out more information about Lee, she mentioned her website. And certainly there are tons of resources out there for those of you who are suffering with any type of mental illness. Please go online, pick up your phone, whatever it takes, find the resources in your community and know that you're not alone.